0: everybody. I wanted to do uh, a little solo project today, um, trying to cover the concept of why you might still have low back pain. Um, In this little talk, I'm going to try to outline some of the things that you probably should be focusing on um, during the rehabilitation of low back pain. And I figure that if you're watching um, this podcast, or if you're listening to the podcast, you might contrast what I'm saying with uh, what it is that you're doing specifically for your back. Um, And then there might be a a few tidbits that that you might be missing or things that you may not have considered with either yourself or your patients um, that you can subsequently uh, put into place. So I think the first thing I want to talk about uh, is the anatomy of the spine and how the spine moves. I often talk about the idea that the more you understand a concept uh, the more you the, the the more readily you'll be able to deal with it. So, with regards to the spine, understanding how the spine moves um, allows you to set realistic expectations with your rehabilitation and your training, and it also gives you uh, a base state of, of normal that you can then strategize your rehabilitation and training uh, towards acquiring. So, uh, I'm going to describe the spine as a continuum from from Um, perfectly functional to 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 non-functional and the way that I look at people with low back pain is I put them somewhere on this continuum wherever they 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 lie and then the idea of course is to always move that person to the right of the continuum towards optimal performance because with optimal performance uh, comes the chance of of decreased pain um, and obviously increased function Um, So first off, I'm going to bring up the anatomy of the spine, just so we can take a little look for those who are not familiar uh, with the anatomy, Um, we'll we'll, uh, take a little tour, so to speak, uh, of the spine, so that we can further understand what it is that we have to accomplish. So um, for those of you who don't know, the spine is made up of several segments, and this is going to become very important, because as you'll note, uh, in modern times with some of the, the new literature or the misunderstanding of some of the new literature, um, we often chunk the spine as one continuous thing. Like today, I'm doing spine work. Um, and then I'm also doing shoulder work as if the spine is made up of one joint and uh, equal to that of the shoulder. But this is not the case. The spine is made up uh, of various vertebrae that sit on top of each other, separated by what we call an intervertebral disc. And when you have one vertebra sitting on top of another vertebra we have what's called a motion segment Um, so for example this would be the motion segment between uh, l3 and l4 here being l3 vertebral body and here being l4 and then if i was to add on uh, the connective tissue components um, you would eventually see that those are are separated by a disc let's see where the disc comes in well, this doesn't come in with that, but I'm sure it'll come in with adding of something else. Anyway, um, so what is important about this concept, um, and, and this I think is one of the main problems with with the the concept of managing the spine, is this idea of of the motion segment and segmentation of the motion segment. So <clears throat> when the spine moves, uh, oftentimes we're led to believe, <clears throat> often by therapists who are saying, for example, I'm palpating that your L four is is uh, out of alignment with your L5, or your L3 is out of alignment with your L4. Uh, first off, the spine and the motion segment themselves, they don't move in a loosey goosey fashion as people uh, believe them to move. So you might go to a therapist and the therapist might palpate your spinous processes at the back, those bumps at the back. And they might say, you know, this spinous process is moved lateral this way and this one's moved lateral that way. Um, there, there's a major problem with that claim, and the problem is is that the spine doesn't move in inches. The spine moves in, in millimeters. So when you take one motion segment on top of another motion segment, the amount of leeway per individual motion segment is far less <clears throat> than what most people consider. The idea here that, that you can somehow palpate using your fingers that there is a vertebra that's out of alignment is, 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 is very incorrect. Number one, The idea that a vertebra slips out of alignment uh, is in and of itself problematic. Um, Number two, the ability for a person to palpate the amount of motion that occurs at the spine to that specificity um, is also unrealistic. The the ability for your fingertips to to palpate, uh, I believe that we can palpate up to maybe five to seven millimeters uh, or above uh, of of motion. But when the spine moves, as I said, they're, they're at fractions of millimeters. So the idea that we can identify An area that's out of alignment and then further the idea that we can put a bone back into place um, that's not what's really happening although it might be something that a therapist might tell you is happening for for sake of simplification Um, that's not what is actually happening Um, so if at the best of times the spine only moves fractions of a millimeter the way that i tend to tell people is that when you're going for example to touch your toes and you say, oh, I'm flexing at the spine. Really, you shouldn't say I'm flexing at the spine. Really what's happening is that you're getting contributions from all of the vertebral segments or all of the motion segments that are contributing millimeters to your ability to flex forward. But then the vast majority of that motion is actually taken up by the hip joint. So whenever we're moving the spine, of course, the the hip is in play and when we're moving the, the, the hip, the spine is in play. Um, So when you see gross motions from an external perspective, it's tempting to to look at it and say, this is the result of spinal motion. But in reality, um, spinal motion is a lot uh, smaller. So what you're seeing is a combination of multiple articulations or joints that are contributing to that motion. But with regards to the spine itself, each vertebra is supposed to be contributing millimeters of motion. And therein lies the problem um, with many people who have spinal problems. So (laughs) One way that spinal problems come about is is with an acute exacerbation where someone goes to pick something up or they go to move one way and then bam, their spine comes out. Um, Just so everyone understands, your spine's not coming out. um, And if it did, you're in a much more emergent situation um, that I'm going to cover in this particular Uh, podcast here we're talking about musculoskeletal injuries and chronic low back pain and things like that we're not talking about dislocations of the spine which would be of course in the realm of acute care but when you go to pick something up and and someone feels that idea of your spine coming out what you're actually feeling is what is referred to as a spinal segmental buckle what's a spinal segmental buckle if we go back to this particular Um, relationship between L3 and L4. As we move, the relationship between L3 and L4, although there's bending and torsioning occurring, they remain relatively uh, in alignment. What happens with a spinal segmental buckle is when you're going to do a motion, and rather than the forces being distributed across various spinal segments, um, for whatever reason, at that particular instant, all of the forces are being put through this particular motion segment. And once that forces being put through the motion segment, exceed the ability of the motion segment to resist those forces, then we get a very quick buckling of the spine. Now, why would a buckling of the spine occur? Uh, there's various reasons as to why the buckling of the spine occur, but I will um, point out one that, it, that, is, that is commonplace that I see in practice as well as that I see when people are consulting me with regards to low back cases. Nowadays with the talk of posture and proper posture and and spinal alignment and and spinal neutrality and sitting in spinal neutral, um, what we've done is essentially we've been telling people that the spine moves and functions in a way that it actually doesn't. So the idea that for example, neutral spine, neutral spine is, is an imaginary position where uh, there's a certain amount of lordosis uh, and theoretically in that particular neutral spine position, it, it, there's the least amount of muscular activity leaning to the stability of the spine such that the spine can stay in a stable position um, with a, a reduction of energy expenditure or with reduction of muscular activity. And this would be known as your spinal neutral. Uh, spinal neutral from a, a research perspective was really a concept Uh, more than something in actual practice. To the extent that if you tell me or ask me, can you put this client in spinal neutral, I will tell you that there's there's no real way for me to know where their neutral is. This neutral is a theoretical concept whereby everything is aligned properly such that the position allows for the stability to be acquired under the minimal amount of energy expenditure. But this is not something that I can find. Um, But somehow the idea of proper posture and spinal neutral got clumped in together. And this idea that we must always maintain the spine in neutral or the spine in a particular position. This ends up being deleterious for the articulations in the same way as if I told you that I don't want you to move your shoulder for the course of a day. So just like with the spine, people are now taught, you know, keep spinal alignment. When you come to a chair, make sure that you keep your, your, your lordosis, you sit back into the chair and then you sit up in your chair with with lumbar supports, you know, for six to eight hours a day typing on your computer. And, and the idea is that any type of slouching or or stirring around in the chair might lead to a, a malalignment, uh, which then might further uh, lead to spinal problems. But Really, it's not the malalignment that leads to spinal problems. And and, and one easy way to to conceptualize this is the the fact that the only thing that actually preserves health in any articulation in the body is movement. You can't have um, a lack of motion in a joint and then expect that joint to maintain uh, any degree uh, of health. And we know that from various studies um, where we look at people post-injuries who remain sedentary, uh, and we see that, that this idea of being sedentary leads to this, this prolonged or rapid degeneration of the articulation. For example, if I told you that you weren't allowed to move your shoulder for several weeks at a time, or very minimally for several weeks at a time, and then I said, how do you think your shoulder's gonna function after those weeks? You would tell me, of course, that the, the amount of motion would re- be reduced and you would be right to say so, um, because the body, uh, for, for all of the good things that it, that it does, the body's job really is, is not to maintain um, a certain uh, anatomy or to maintain a neutrality. The body's job is to conserve energy. So what happens with segments that don't move um, is that the body pretty much says, well, if you're not going to move those segments or utilize the tissues in those segments, I might as well replace that tissue with tissue that doesn't require so much energy to function like muscles do. And, and that would be you know, scar tissue. So then you start to get this accumulation of scarring into areas where, where motion doesn't occur. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem um, because the brain, um, as I often say, it's secluded. The brain is, is in the skull and the skull, you know, the brain is separated from, from your ability to touch it by this, this dense thing called the skull. Uh, it's alone. It's in a, it's in a dark place, uh, so to speak it doesn't have access to, the, ex- to the, the external world other than the information that's coming in this way or coming up um, from the mechanoreception um, of the articulations or from your tissues. The mechanoreception meaning the information that's back, fed back, the afference that's fed back um, from the articulation. So if you take an articulation like a shoulder and you don't move it for a prolonged period of time, that's akin to the the brain forgetting that the shoulder's there. If the brain's not receiving uh, information from the mechanical receptors that are in the tissues that function the shoulder, um, then over time, the, the brain actually starts to wall off the idea that a shoulder's there, because what you're not doing is providing that feedback through motion which is registered in the connective tissue mechanoreceptors that gets fed up to the brain. Now, the information that's bring brought up to the brain from your particular joints that's the way your brain constructs a three-dimensional uh, understanding of where it is in space. Um, it's something called an action map. And based on the information coming up from the, the afferents from your, your muscles and your joints and your ligaments, the brain then constructs this three dimensional picture of of the world, which then subsequently allows you to move within it uh, in ways that are not harmful um, to the body. So let's go back to the spine. With regards to the spine, when when we discuss posture and staying in neutral and sitting properly and sitting up and putting the support for your back and only doing exercises in neutral spine and playing hockey in neutral spine and running in neutral spine, what we're essentially doing is we're decreasing the flow of information from the spine to the brain. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, if the spine was supposed to be thought of as one chunk of thing, then it, it would have eventually got rid of all of the segmentation. So clearly, the fact that we have all of these segments, the fact that all of these segments have mechanoreceptors, whose job it is to feed back information from those particular receptors to the brain, means that from an evolutionary standpoint, each one of these segments played a role uh, in the ability for a bipedal uh, um, organism to flourish uh, in the world, or even for a quadrupedal organism, uh, anybody who has a spine, I guess we can say. Those segments, there's a reason for those segments, and those segments are the reason is, is that it feeds back information to the central nervous system. However, <clears throat> when you have that many segments, you also have a lot of biomechanical points of uh, where, the se- where the system can break. And unless you're maintaining that afference and the health of the individual segments, the amount of information your brain has to run the spine starts to go down and then when we do simple movements, like going to pick up a, you know, uh, my coffee cup, bang, all of a sudden your, your spine uh, buckles or comes out of place. Of course, that's, it doesn't come out of place. Um, what happens is you have all of the forces, instead of being distributed through the millimeters of motion to the spine, you have them going through one segment, and then you have uh, the situation where the amount of force going into the segment exceeds the force loading capacity and bang, you have, you have a buckle. Now, further (laughs) to the buckle, let's talk about what happens. Whenever you have an injury, there's anatomical consequences to that injury. And like I said before, the function of the body is not to repair itself or preserve itself, so to speak. The function of the body is really um, to conserve energy. So in a a scenario where you have a spinal segmental buckle, that particular area, wherever the buckled occurred in the ligaments, in the musculature, in the disc tissue, in any one of these areas or or in several of these areas, you will um, have injury. Now, the thing about injury is that left to its own accord, um, the body doesn't heal injuries back to um, back to optimal function. Uh, It just heals them back to some sort of function. In other words, the, the injuries are not perfectly healed by the body, you know, removing any uh, injured debris tissue and then uh, laying down new tissue in perfect lines as it was before. Uh, the body doesn't do that. And from an evolutionary perspective, we really don't have time to do that. So really what happens is the body fills in the gaps. And this is really important. And we're gonna talk about you guys about this when we talk about the specificity of your training or of your rehabilitation. When an injury occurs in the shoulder, it's not enough to train the shoulder. It's not enough to strengthen the shoulder because not all strength exercises in the shoulder will provide stimuli to the exact tissue that underwent the injury. And because the exact tissue is not receiving specific information as to how to heal, the healing of that tissue will not be optimal. So, again, When someone has a spinal problem or a back problem, I don't feel it's enough to say, oh, we have low back pain. Here we go, we're gonna start strengthening the spine uh, with bird dogs, a random exercise um, that, that, to be honest with you, involves more motion of the shoulders and the hips than it does with the actual spine. In an exercise like that, you're really saying solidify everything in the spine, which is really to say contract whatever you can contract such that the spine once again, doesn't move, so that I can work on the ability for the shoulder to move relative to the spine. But when the injury occurred, and let's say that they was tearing into the facet joint capsule, subsequent tearing into the iliolumbar ligament or into the multifidi, <clears throat> those injuries occur in those specific spots. And f- past that injury, those specific spots, there's gonna be anatomical consequences in those areas specifically, not in the spine, Um, In general, and therefore general exercise will not coerce that tissue to heal in an optimal fashion, and that is going to lead to subsequent problems down the road. So here's an example when we have um, any uh, instance of an acute low back pain, what often happens is subsequent to that injury. Let's say that the injury was caused by this idea of chunking this idea that I'm not supposed to move the spine. Or maybe you were moving the spine fine and it was just an acute injury, you know, where you were in hockey, you were in a funny position, you got hit into the boards. Never mind what the original uh, injury um, was caused by, but let's just take an injured spine. Let's say you injured that spine in segment four or five and you have some tearing into the facet capsule possibly or some of the muscles got injured, etc. Now, if you then tell that person, I want you to maintain a neutral spine, which is often said. And I want you to be very careful and I don't want you to come out of neutral spine and I want you to sit very carefully. And when you get up, I want you to tighten your stomach and move that spine all in one, one segment, et cetera. What that does is it chunks the spine. And I also already said that the spine moves in millimeters, not centimeters or inches. So once you start chunking that spine together and you move it as one unit, the amount of individual movement inputs that go into the segment that you injured, becomes zero. So now you have the injury, and you have the body trying to heal itself from that injury. So it's starting to lay down connective tissue in order to heal it. And this can be thought of even if you take a tissue like this, like if it's a tissue, a muscle, a ligament, whatever. When it tears, the way that the healing process occurs is that the torn bits are going to become um, smoothed out by something called uh, clastic cells, which are going to smooth out those roughened edges. And then eventually that gap will be filled in uh, by new layers of connective tissue, which provide the scaffolding, which then you can add muscular uh, tissue into. But how does that, that scaffolding get built? In other words, if I'm a cell that, uh, that shows up in that torn area and I'm a blastic cell, a cell that's going to lay down tissue, cells don't have brains. So they don't really know what they're doing. So it's not like if I'm a You know, a fibroblastic cell, I'm coming in after an injury and I'm going to fill in that gap uh, where the tear occurred. I don't know how to put tissue into the gap. I don't even have a brain. They often say the nucleus is the brain of the cell, but that's nonsense. The nucleus is just the center area of the cell that houses the genetic material, the DNA. Uh, But to think that that nucleus is thinking to itself, you know, how am I going to lay down more tissue? Uh, That's incorrect. So what ends up happening is it just starts letting out connective tissue. Now, what would tell that tissue to to lay down lines of tissue in a proper fashion? It would be movement. When we move the tissues, we provide forces in the tissues. And as a cell, the cell is able to feel those forces and the feeling of the forces will dictate where we put tissue down. So for example, if I injure my bicep um, and then I were to, let's say, Um, put myself into a cast. So I tear the bicep and I put myself into a cast and I I don't allow any motion of that bicep to occur. The rent or the tear that occurred in that bicep will be filled in with connective tissue. But because I'm not moving the bicep and giving force uh, information by way of force to tell that system how I want to lay down new tissue, the tissues laid down haphazardly. And what's haphazardly laid down tissue That's scar tissue. Now, scar tissue, uh, number one, is not as resilient as normal laid down connective tissue. Ergo, the propensity for further injuries to occur goes up because the amount of load bearing capacity in that fibrosis or connective tissue scarring ends up going down. So now the next time you go to pick something up, you have a recurring bout of low back pain. And of course, in the literature, it tells you that once you have one bout of low back pain, Uh, the the next injury that you're likely to sustain is going to be another injury to the low back, likely in the exact same spot. This is the same with everything, every musculoskeletal injury that you find. If you have someone who dislocates their shoulder and you say, what is the the next injury that's likely going to occur to that client? The next injury is likely going to be another shoulder dislocation. Or if you rupture your ACL and have surgery that's not later rehabilitated properly, the next injury you're likely going to sustain is that ACL injury, and a lot of that has to do with the lack of specificity in the exercises that you're given. So let's go back to the, the management of acute low back pain. In the management of acute low back pain, what we're often told is to keep the spine in relative neutral as we do things to decrease the inflammation. You know, we might use acupuncture, or <clears throat> we might use ice, or um, let's say electrodes. You know, that stimu- that, that electric stimulation all of which are perfectly fine and have a place. Uh, however, none of which are actually giving specific, specific directional force inputs into the tissue, telling it how to, um, how to line up or how to produce more tissue to replace the tissue that was damaged in an optimal fashion. Um, that's, these are called passive modalities for that reason. They might deal with the injury itself and quell the inflammatory response and quell the, the pain response. Uh, et cetera. But what they don't do is give specific tissue or tissue specific bits of information to the cells so that the cells know what they're doing. So in the case of low back pain, this idea that we're going to somehow protect the back by moving in neutral, what it actually does is it decreases the amount of movement occurring across those uh, segments over a period of time. The research is quite clear, and there's quite a bit of research for a long period of time now, that in the management of injuries, If the injury is left to its own accord, or if motion is not allowed to be a significant part of the rehabilitation of that injury, then the tissue quality that will be put in place to replace the injured tissue will be poor. Uh, You'll get very thin um, tissue laid down, a tissue that's haphazardly laid down that doesn't have particular lines (coughs) of tissue uh, built in. There's no directionality, it's kind of like, you know, this instead of this. Um, and when you have good tissue along lines of force, you have good resilience and resistance um, to force. When you have connective tissue, the resilience decreases. So once again, the, the management of the spine, when we're thinking in terms of chunking, neutral spine, uh, bird dogs, exercises where you're told to keep the spine um, in one position, it's actually decreasing Uh, the function later on because of this lack of segmentation. Now, of course, in acute situations, I'm not saying that you should be wrenching your spine into positions that hurt, but there should be some um, input of motion. And what I always say is when as soon as there's a a low back injury, the first thing I'm going to get someone to do is pain free carves or controlled articular rotations which is to say, I want the person to begin to explore whatever they have as a pain-free range of motion, but not in a global fashion. For example, touching your toes while your back's in neutral spine is not going to, to do the trick. I need that person to be able to explore the motion of the spine in its entirety, which is to say, I want them to explore the ability to segment that spine within a pain-free range of motion. Now, what, what does this motion do? Like I said before, the only way to maintain the health of a human articulation is through movement. If we look at something like the, um, the cartilage uh, in a joint, the cartilage is known to have very poor blood supply. And the only way that cartilage is, is, um, is given nutrients if the blood supply is poor is by moving the segment to actually imbibe the nutrients um, from its surrounding area so that the the cartilage can maintain itself uh, with the nutrients and the building blocks that it needs. When movement is taken away, the amount of nutrients that are available to that articulation and to that cartilage or to the the damaged tissue that's healing dramatically goes down because we don't have that free flow of, of fluid or or um, cellular components that are allowed to perforate that area. So number one, if you have a low back pain, if you were told to rest in bed, for sure we know from research that's not the idea. So if that's the thing that you're being told, unless there's a very specific reason why you're you're being assigned bed rest, you might not be on the right track. If the rehabilitation is doing pain modalities only, so let's say you're going to the therapist and all that's being done is things to reduce pain. Once again, that is doing nothing to specifically rehabilitate the anatomy that's damaged. And as I said before, um, injuries leave anatomical consequences in every scenario. So unless your rehabilitation is you know, dealing with inflammation, dealing with pain, but also dealing with the specific anatomical consequences of the injury, your rehabilitation program is, is missing out. So we need to get Um, the imbibement of new fluid, the the pushing out of of inflammatory fluid through this pump mechanism of moving, and that's going to um, reduce the amount of inflammation, but it's also going to give the vital bits of information for the healing tissue so that it heals properly. Now, assuming this isn't done, what often happens in cases of low back pain? What's the most common thing that happens in generic cases of low back pain? Is Once this injury occurs, and the person gets into this pain uh, protective mode of not moving or they're being told to stay in a neutral spine at all time, that area begins to accumulate scar tissue. So if I told you before, the spine moves in millimeters, well, now those millimeters are even less over that particular segment because that segment has not been given the ability to move. So now, not only are you chunking it consciously, but you start to chunk segments of your spine um anatomically based on the lack of motion <clears throat> that occurred following that injury now let's go back to the the idea of the action map that i said i said that your brain only builds pictures of what your musculoskeletal system is doing based on the information it's getting from the information coming from the joints coming from the tissues or the afferents so your brain makes this map of the shoulder by the information it gets from the shoulder moving. So if you take a section of the spine and you stop it from moving, the amount of information that is going to the brain begins to decrease. Not only that, but when you take a segment of the body and you stop moving it, it, everything begins to get worse. So in other words, there might be more scar tissue preventing for the motion to occur, but because of that stiffening, now the muscles deep down in the spine, whose job it is to monitor the motion of those segments, those muscles stop functioning. Why would they function? If you're moving in one chunk, there's no reason for a muscle that comes from here to here to ever separate. So you're not getting any contraction and relaxation through a muscle. And the lack of contraction and relaxation through a muscle, eventually when the brain stops receiving that anatomical signal and that muscle stops moving, that muscle will begin to atrophy and it will begin to replace the normal tissue with scar tissue. And this is what we often see occur. So you take someone with chronic low back pain and I go to palpate the ability for each segment to move. And not only can it not move, but oftentimes I'll put my finger say in the spinous processes here. I'll just come in. So I'll put my finger in between these two spinous processes. Um, And if I tell the person, you know, try to open and close these spinal processes, they not only can they not do it, But oftentimes with people with chronic low back pain, they, they often don't even know where their spine is. If you're a practitioner, you know, exactly what I mean. If you bring in a a high level gymnast, who's been training with no back pain and you say, you know, move at this segment, they have that ability. They have that connection between their, their nervous system and their, their anatomy, whereby each one is, is, is working the, each one is working together so they can find that, that plate and they can move it properly. But if you, take, you give me a, you know, a 45-year-old construction worker who has low back pain, who never works out at all, and I say, I want you to segment you know, at this segment, oftentimes you start seeing them do things like this, where they're contorting their body and you can almost see it. You can almost, if you look at them straight in the eye, yeah, you can almost see them thinking to themselves, holy shit, I, I, I don't know where I am in space. And that's often the case. Usually, when people come into my office with any kind of problem, the first thing that's noticeable is that the person really doesn't know where they are in space. They they don't have specific control over their articulations. I often call them, uh, I'll say this like you know, weekend at Bernie's. If you guys have ever watched that movie where they were they were they were moving around that dead guy and pretending he was alive, so they would have him on strings and waving and you know, herky jerky kind of motions, and that's what you you find in people who do not have a, um, let's call it a body practice that they do on a regular basis that actually moves these joints through their full range of motion, as is done with something like controlled articular rotation. Uh, So what ends up happening, you start to atrophy the articulations and all of the things that make up the articulations, the muscles, the joints, the ligaments, the tendons, all of these things, they, they stop doing their function, which means they stop feeding that function back to the central nervous system. And because they're not functioning, they start to scar. Now, for those of you who are not therapists, the the mechanisms, what we call the, the receptors that feed information back to the brain from the spine or from any other joint, they're just slightly altered bits of tissue that is found in regular tissue. So for example, muscle spindles. Muscle spindles are just muscle fibers that are slightly altered in order to give this sensory information back to the brain. So when you start to lose muscle, you don't only lose the contractile ability of the muscle, but you also lose the receptors built into the muscle that gives that information to the brain. Same thing with all of the connective tissue. Let's say the capsules of the facet joints located here. If those capsules are not moved around on a regular basis, then the, there you go, there's a capsule right there. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm pointing out the facet joint capsules. If those capsules are not moved, allowed to move on a regular basis, they begin to stiffen and they begin to congeal and become scarred. And then when that happens, the mechanical receptors that are built into that tissue stop working because that tissue starts to break down. And once again, you start to get less and less information to the brain and that information becomes less and less coordinated mo- motion. This is something that I often talk about with regards to the toes. And maybe this is an easier way to think about it because not everyone thinks about moving their spine in individual segments. But if you think of something like your feet, oftentimes I'll be assessing someone and I'll say, look, I just want you to lift up your big toe in the air and keep all of the other ones down. That might seem very easy, but I ask you if you're sitting at home and you can try this, try it for yourself, look at your toes and try to lift your big toe. And a lot of you in the audience, You'll be staring at your big toe, wondering why it's not listening to you. And that's because, you know, with wearing shoes and keeping your foot, um, you know, always in a a boot or in a shoe or in a skate or in a cleat or in whatever, in slippers, we, we lose that ability for the intersegmental motion of the joints in our feet. And the same thing happens as in our spine. So the lack of information from the toes getting to the brain makes it so that over time, your brain actually kind of forgets that you have toes that are supposed to function individually anyway. And when that representation of the foot gets chunked into foot instead of individual toes. When you try to control your toes, you realize that you don't have the motor control. That is one of the biggest reasons why we get things like plantar fasciitis and drop metatarsal heads. But that's that's for another topic. But the exact same thing occurs in the spine. Now. Let me just bring you back to the anatomy here, and I'll show you the first layer that we really run into, or the first layers that we run into in the spine with regards to the musculature. And one of the first layers that we run into are these muscles here called the multifidae. The multifidae are often in anatomical uh, textbooks. They tell you that the, the motion um, of, the, uh, artic- of the multifidi is to rotate the spine such that the nose faces in the op- op- opposite direction. So if you look at the screen here, a multifidus comes from a spinous process and then courses inferiorly and laterally to insert onto the, uh, let's say the posterior side of the uh, spinous process, the lamina more specifically. Now, I, I, I realize that there's an angularity to that tissue, and I'm pointing it out now. Uh, and I realize that if we understand that muscles just pull from point A to point B, that the belief would be that when this muscle pulls, that line pulls, <clears throat> this spinous process will be moved laterally, brought closer to its origin point of the spinous process, and then the spine will turn. But what we forget is that at this point, we're so deep into the spine, that the ability for those muscles to actually create motion is very limited because their moment arms uh, are so small. The muscle, the multifidus muscles, they're only about that large. And your spine, of course, is a very large structure. So the idea that those individual segments can move the spine um, is just not true. That's why we have superficial tissues. So if I layer myself out of the spine, we start to see now we have these larger bands of erectors, and then we start to add even more erectors and the QLs, and then we have the, um, the, the abdominal muscles, the transversus abdominis, the external oblique, internal oblique, these superficial muscles have very, very good mechanoreceptors. Now we have the latissimus dorsi to allow these, these, these motions to occur, these global motions. But at the, at the deepest level, uh, these multifidi segments are really not globally moving the spine. To any large extent. So what is the function? The function of these deep muscles is to monitor the relative positions of the vertebra. So such that when this vertebra moves relative to this vertebra, whatever amount of millimeters of motion it moves, that movement has to be registered somewhere. And that movement is registered in the deep connective tissue layers of the capsule first and foremost. Why? because the capsule is the deepest thing closest to the articular space. So between two bones, there's, of course, a space. You know, I'll show you that space. Oops, I just opened my contacts between two bones. We have a, we have a space that allows the two bones to move relative to one another. And that is what actually a joint is. It's the space between two bones that allow the two bones to move relative to one another. So. To confine that space or define that space, <clears throat> I'm gonna add the articular capsule and that's this uh, connective tissue here. So when motion occurs in that vertebra, that articular capsule is registers that motion and the capsule sends information to the central nervous system, telling it what's going on with regards to that joint space. Now, because that capsule is the deepest thing, um, uh, let's say the first thing superficial to the space, which therefore is the deepest thing in the body, closest to the space, because it's the closest, it actually gets the information to the brain even faster. And there's research to demonstrate that connective tissue has uh, type two afferent, type two receptors that have direct spinal connections, such that the information coming from these deep capsules bypasses any processing at the spinal cord and goes directly to the brain. So the information about the space goes to the brain first. This is important because the, the health of that space, the amount of space that there has, the amount of motion that's allowed in that space, that dictates what the spine or what the brain is going, information is going to send down. If the capsule is fibrotic or tight or shrunken or there's not as much space, that information will be registered by the brain and then the brain will send signals down to the body telling the surrounding musculature around these segments to tighten up so as to prevent any further motion, which would then agitate that already injured joint. I hope that that was a a mouthful, but I hope that makes sense. So in other words, the capsule sends information about the space. And then when motion occurs, the space, the information that the brain receives will send information back to the muscular system telling it what to do. So let's go back to these multifidi. If you have an injured joint, what's going to end up happening is the brain is going to send a signal to the muscles that control those joints, telling it to contract. And if it contracts, it moves even less. So now you have a scenario where you have an injury, let's say in a joint, could be in the disc, could be in the facet. You have the injury occurred. You have the capsule registering that injury. That injury goes up to the brain. The brain says, oh, there's a problem. Tighten up that segment. So now what do we have? We have a normal spine that only has millimeters of motion that has an injury. The injury itself causes pain, pain causes reflective spasm at the level of that injury. So now you have decreased amounts of motion. As you start to rehabilitate yourself through this problem, the brain is constantly receiving information saying that there's something wrong. So now you have the original injury causing pain, causing spasm or contraction, but now you have this ongoing uh, loop whereby the the space is, is, there's injury in the space, so it's sending information to the brain and you have this reflective contraction in the area such that it's trying to uh, prevent any further injury. The problem is, is the contraction of muscle also decreases the amount of flow of nutrients to those tissues. So when you decrease or contract the muscle, it's like squeezing a garden hose and, and stopping the flow of water. When you stop that flow of blood and oxygen, and nutrients, the amount of of, uh, nutrients the tissue has to heal itself uh, goes down. So now you have a lack of motion, lack of blood, lack of oxygen, uh, lack of of movement information and afference, tightening of tissue, which leads to further contraction. What happens over time? That contracted area stops moving almost entirely. And then you have an area that, that has a lack of segmentation. What happens further to that? If this segment stops moving, well, then the motion has to be taken up by the subsequent segments, or else you wouldn't be able to move. So now other segments start to move in order to take up the the lack of motion in that segment. What happens there? Those other segments start to get more force inputs above and beyond what they're used to dealing with. Because now there's one segment that has no motion, so it cannot absorb any force. So now you start to funnel the forces into other areas. Those areas will eventually succumb to the forces when the forces exceed their ability to rehabilitate or to function. And now those segments start to decrease in motion. This is all on top of someone telling you, walk around in neutral spine, sit down in neutral spine, only do exercises while in neutral spine. So I often tell people it is true that moving in neutral spine might prevent the, the, you know, another acute injury from occurring. so you might be preventing further bouts of acute injury, but what you're causing is longer bouts of chronic injury because this cycle of lack of segmental motion will lead to a gradual deterioration of the articulations and that articulation deterioration um, is shown in x-rays as degenerative changes and uh, roughening of your connect of the the um, let's say the, the, the surfaces of the joints uh, and scarring into the muscles, um, et cetera, et cetera. So going back to the rehabilitative process, if you are at a, uh, a therapist and, and you go in, they do that, the electrical stimulus, and let's say they might manipulate the joint and do some soft tissue work, here's the key. None of that will do anything in and of itself. The idea of soft tissue work, the idea of manipulation, joint mobilization, it's simply to provide an environment whereby you have the ability to heal properly. So connective tissue work might help the process of having cells lay down new lines of tissue in proper bands of tissue instead of haphazardly. It gives force inputs into the tissue specifically to to help guide the process, but without subsequent movement that that really enforces the directionality of those treatments, those cells are are not going to respond. So think about it this way. If you go to a therapist and you go in and you're very tight because you're in pain and your back hurts, they, they manipulate, they do some soft tissue work and you go, oh, you know what? That feels a little bit better. Unfortunately, whatever they did, it's only going to cause a temporary neurological effect. So you might have decreased amounts of pain temporarily, but you're going to leave that office. And then unless you're given exercises, not general exercises, specific exercises that reinforce movement exactly in the, 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 the joints, whereby the tissue injury occurred, whereby the anatomical healing is, is, is in place. If you're not giving subsequent uh, bits of information, movement information. Then that tissue is going to still heal with scarring. It's if you're at a therapist, you might get soft tissue work for ten minutes, but that leaves you twenty-three hours and fifty minutes to your own accord to walk around in a in a in a protected fashion, whereby now you have ten minutes of actual motion occurring in a segment versus twenty-three plus hours of no motion occurring, and and of course, which one wins? The, the, the one that has the, the most constant information, that lack of motion is going to win out. Going back to the <clears throat> healing of tissues, <clears throat> whenever you damage any tissue, the, the clock starts. And as the tissue heals, you have the ability to influence the healing such that y- you, you decrease the amount of scarring and increase the amount of good tissue healing. But again, left to its own accord, the amount of good tissue healing will be very low and the amount of uh, scar tissue will be very high. OK, so what is the, the result from a muscular perspective when it when it when this happens? Well, the literature is pretty clear that when you have a person with a recurring bounce of acute low back pain or chronic back pain, what you'll often find um, almost in every scenario, <clears throat> if you were to observe the multifidi, these deep tissues on the back of the spine, which really blend into the articular capsules in order to monitor the tension in the capsule, which is then monitoring the the health of the space of the joint. So these are tuners, so to speak, these muscles are tuners that actually tell the brain where the the, the body is in space. If you go back into research, there's actually some research that has been done that demonstrates that the multifidus actually has a preemptive contraction uh, when we move, such that let's say I'm sitting here and I go to move my arm into flexion. Um, when I move my, before I move my arm into flexion, so even when I have the thought of moving my arm into flexion, the multifidus will contract prior to the contraction of the shoulder muscles moving my arm into flexion. Now, why is that? The multifidus muscle will contract in order to, to preemptively put tension into that segment so that any movement that occurs is very specifically registered through length changes in that multifidi if that makes sense. And then very minute length changes in that multifidi will tell the brain where the body is in space so that as you move your shoulder, that spine is able to maintain some kind of neutrality because you don't want the movements occurring there. When we get low back pain and when we have this cycle of not using the multifidus, scarring in the multifidus, it's been shown that the preemptive ability for the multifidus to contract, to pre-register where you are in space, that falls away such that now when I move my shoulder, the shoulder might contract first or at the same time as the multifidus. By that time, it's too late. So when I'm doing something complicated, let's say a pitch is uh, a baseball is going over my head and I have to jump up to get it. If I jump up with my shoulder, but my spine is not first stabilized, again, the ability for you to buckle goes up. So the multifidi it starts to uh, scar and then it actually starts to atrophy. And very specifically, for those of you who know muscle physiology, your muscles are made up of two main types of fibers. We have slow-twitch fibers and then fast-twitch fibers, and then everything in between. But for the most part, there's slow-twitch and fast-twitch. Slow-twitch muscular fibers are ones that are able to contract at low levels for a very long period of time. Think of of, of an endurance race versus fast-twitch which are the fast twitchy muscles that you would be using in more explosive sports, for example. So in the multifidi, because the multifidi is a monitor of motion, um, more so than a producer of motion, the slow twitch fibers in the multifidi play a particularly important role in that they are supposed to be always on in order to monitor posture and monitor the relative position between one segment above another segment, or one segment two above another segment in the the case of the multifidi. So if you have atrophy in those muscles, where the atrophy occurs most specifically is in the slow twitch fibers. This becomes very important because as slow twitch fiber capacity goes down, you have fast twitch fibers trying to maintain function. So they take over for the slow twitch fibers. So what you'll often feel in a client If I'm palpating into these multifidae and I'm asking the person to say segment at one particular area, instead of having a nice ability to segment the area and hold, what you feel is almost spasmodic activity in the multifidae as it tries to contract, but because we don't have good connection, it kind of spasms on and off, on and off, on and off. And it doesn't have that, that, that prolonged slow contraction, which then allows you to monitor what's happening. So now you have a scenario where you don't have the preemptive protective contraction of that multifidi, you have a reactive contraction of that multifidi, and not only do you have a reactive contraction of the multifidi, but you have fast twitchy type contractions, which fatigue very, very quickly because that's what fast twitch fi- fibers do, and they don't provide a constant stream of information from the afferent mechanoreceptors to the brain because they're coming on at, slow, at, at fast twitchy intervals. So now you tell someone to go to work and the, 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 the uh, recommendation is maintain good posture. So now you have a person <clears throat> who has suffered injury, <clears throat> who has scar tissue accumulating, who has atrophy in the multifidae specific to the slow twitch fibers, replacement of slow twitch fibers with fast twitch uh, function. Fast twitch function fatigues very very quickly, so now you have fatiguing of the musculature that you're trying to hold up in space consciously by sitting in a perfect posture as you're typing. Uh, again, it doesn't work. Uh, you can't just look at the back and say, "Do back things, and it'll get better." You know, stand up several times during the day, or and get on the floor and do your cat camel exercises, and do three sets of ten or whatever. Uh, that's the problem with rehabilitation: it's that you're given you know, these exercises to do, and you're given, you know, three sets of 10, but you're really not given any progress. And and what is three sets of 10? Uh, What does the the number 10 mean to the multifidus? The number 10 is a constructed mouth noise that we make as humans to describe things. There's 10 of those, but 10 doesn't mean anything. So if I do 10 repetitions, but the tissue required 37 repetitions to even register a stimulus, The 10 repetitions was a waste of time. Furthermore, I I see people doing rehabilitation. You know, I see them, they have low back problems. I see them in the gym. I go, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing bird dogs, three sets of 10. I see them five years later in the same gym. And guess what they're doing? The same stuff. They're doing bird dogs, five sets of 10. But those five sets of 10 stopped producing a, a, a stimulus to the body to make it change five years ago, like once your body adapts to a stimulus, it accommodates to the stimulus. So if you keep running the same stimulus, it's like you're not running any stimulus at all. So what you might think that you're building tissue up, but really you're not even maintaining tissue, it's degrading because in time entropy degrades all of your tissue, unless there's specific inputs in that tissue that allows it to be built back up. Back again to the spine. If I give you a chunked spine with atrophy and 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 fusion in a lot of the segments, and I say do these exercises, they're good for your back, but you don't have a back. Does that make sense? So, if, for example, if I get you to do cat camels, the one where you go on all fours and you move like that and like that, if you can't move this particular segment, then when you're doing cat camels, you're going to move all of the other segments to compensate for the segment that's not moving. So the idea that cat camels are somehow gonna maintain mobility or movement in the damaged segments is, it's crazy. It, it, of course, it's not gonna move and maintains it. If that segment doesn't move, it just pushes the onus of movements onto other areas of the body. So in other words, there's a lot of mobility type exercises. I'll demonstrate some right now. I hope you can see this. If you can't, you have to go to YouTube but right now I'll do some cat camels here. So if I'm doing a cat camel type exercise, but I can't move through this chunk, then when I do the cat camels, I'm not moving through this chunk. What I'm actually doing is moving from the chunk the segments above and below that still have motion. So what I'm really doing is reinforcing improper motion. It's the same with mobility exercises for the spine. You might see the ones where you do, you know, you squat down and you start to do things like this for the spine, or you might be in this position and you might do these type of exercises for the spine. But again, the problem is, is if you're not moving between L3 and L5, then whatever exercise you chose, you're gonna do that exercise without the movement between L3 and L5. Ergo, no specific information is going to be funneled into L3 and L5 tissues, ergo. The damaged tissue that you sustain from that back pain, that's not going to receive any information. All of that information will funnel to the rest of that tissue. That means you will not <clears throat> build up any new multifidae. You will not put any motion into that segment that, that's injured at all. Your body's pre- preventing the, 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 the motion from occurring, and you've been told for three years to be in neutral spine. So again, you start to see that, we're actually damaging our clients on a long-term basis by, by not thinking of the spine in anatomical terms. When you actually look at the spine and the anatomy of it and you go, what does that anatomy do? What is the function of that particular tissue going from here to here? There is a specific function or else it wouldn't be there. If you think of natural selection from an evolutionary process, it's not gonna maintain all of these energy sucking muscles and capsules and mechanoreceptors if the intention was never to move there at all, right? Those tissue, the body, it's trying to conserve energy. So over time, it's not going to say, you know what, let's maintain this energy sucking tissue, even though this energy sucking tissue has no real function. So when you go back to the rehabilitation, the idea that you have back pain and now you're just supposed to brace. We're just gonna create this corset and you're gonna you're going to hold on for dear life. And all exercises you do, you're gonna consciously hold on for dear life. But if you could consciously hold on for dear life, you wouldn't have got injured to begin with. You would have been able to prevent that segmental buckle that occurred, but you can't, right? You can't do that. So it, it behooves us to not chunk the spine, but to allow motion, of course, graduated motion, specific motion, um, accumulated motion to occur in those joints in order to maintain their function. Now, a little note on exercise and the idea of three sets of 10. If you look at, uh, exercise physiology research, it's, it's very easy to find the research that, that allows you to hone or confine the exercise that you're doing such that you target very specific types of muscle. What do I mean by that? If you pick any exercise, any named exercise—lunges, squats, bench press, whatever—there's um, very specific parameters. Such that if the time under tension in in the exercise gets upwards of a minute or longer, well, that means that the the intensity of the exercise is pretty low. And if the intensity is low and you go for longer periods of time, you're preferentially training slow twitch fibers. Versus, if you take a, a set and you uh, squeeze the time under tension of that set down to, let's say, 30 to 32 seconds, and you increase the, the intensity. Well, if you increase the intensity, you can't go for as long. The force duration curve tells us that much. If you're going at a high intensity, the time that you can do it for is low. And if you're going at a low intensity, the time that you can do it for is high. And we can use that force duration curve, that, that concept, in order to hone exactly where the stimulus goes. Does it go into the fast twitch or does it go into the slow twitch? So again, when you're doing three sets of 10, three sets of 10, you do one, one uh, rep and then you do another rep. So how much time under tension actually occurred in that particular segment? Uh, not that much, right? You do one, you relax. Two, you relax. Three, you relax. So the, 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 the areas are contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing. If you're going three sets of 10, but you're not exceeding the the minute, if you don't have a time under tension that's pushing upwards towards a minute or further, then you're not gonna preferentially train the actual fibers that you need. This is the point. If you have someone with chronic low back pain, vast majority of them are gonna have atrophy in that deep multifidi. Vast majority are gonna have a loss of slow twitch fibers, which means the exercises that should be assigned should be very specific to the anatomy and very specific to the capacity that you desire. You desire increased slow-twitch capacity, or you require an increase in the amount of slow-twitch fibers. Therein lies another thing that we know in exercise physiology. When you're training any tissue, that the, the stimulus or the part of the stimulus uh, which tells you what you want the tissue to do is gonna be dependent on how you apply the stimulus. So for example, if I am doing a bicep curl and I don't fail the set, so I'm doing a bicep curl and I do, you know, 10 because I was told to do 10. So I'm doing my bicep curl, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, but I didn't fail on 10. So in other words, it wasn't 10 that I'm dying to get that thing up and I'm helping myself up and I'm trying, no, it's just 10. Okay, so you didn't fail. So what does that tell your tissues? What it says to your body is, I don't require any more anatomy to deal with that task. I I succeeded. 10, because I succeeded, I don't need to force my body to spend energy to give me new tissue because I can deal with that insult with the tissue that I have available. So when you work below failure, you're really training the capacity of the tissue you already have. But if I want to put new tissue, let's say I have a multifidus that's atrophied and there's not as much slow twitch fibers as there were before, and I wanna put new slow twitch fibers, then you wanna be working into failure. Now, that doesn't mean take a low back and get them to extend when they're in pain and get them to hold for as long as they can. That's a global exercise. I'm talking about a segmental exercise whereby I can activate contraction in the multifidi whereby I'm holding those contractants for timed amounts so that I know how long you can sustain it. If you can sustain it for 10 seconds to start, we start at 10 seconds. But the idea is if I want to replace the atrophied slow twitch fibers in the multifidi, I need to push my capacities up so that I can hold a, a contraction for a long period of time and I have to find where those failure points are so that I can then progressively push past the failure points. Pushing past the failure points allows me to signal to the body to add new tissue into the multifidus. Once I have new tissue into multifidus, then I can bring those times down and I can start to work on the ability to be more efficient with the tissue that I have. So that's why in these scenarios, a lot of my early rehab is number one, getting the connection back between the brain and the lumbar spine i told you there's not a lot of motion in these tissues so the the last time that the brain heard from the multifidus uh, receptors between l3 4 was 5 years ago so it doesn't rem- so the first thing we got to do is start the process of reconnecting the brain with the tissue and that can be done by doing very specific palpatory inputs into the tissue and using what we call manual biofeedback to just get the person to be able to touch the multifidi and say, I want that multifidus to contract. If you try that with normal people, no low back pain, oftentimes it's very, if they can't do it right away, very quickly within a few seconds of stimulating that tissue, they're able to get that contraction into multifidi. But if you take someone with chronic low back pain, the person who I say, move this segment and they start twitching their whole body because they don't know where they are in space, when I say squeeze that tissue or contract that tissue, they're initially unable to even locate where that tissue is. Now, what do I mean by squeeze the tissue? If you look at, again, the bicep here, without moving at all, I can squeeze such that I swell my arm. Okay. So I'm not moving, there's no motion at the elbow and I contract. So I'm able to isometrically squeeze that tissue and contract. So I have conscious connection between my brain and that tissue. When you think of deep tissues, because people don't often train the conscious connection, they just don't assume it's there. So when I put my finger in someone's QL, and I go just squeeze the QL independent of anything else, they go, what? That doesn't make any sense. And they start to squeeze everything especially if they've been told to do bracing exercises. I I go contract there and they just squeeze everything as hard as they can. As if to say, if you contract muscles on the outside of the body, then somehow stuff on the inside is going to go back to the way it was before. When you're telling someone to brace and only do cat camels and planks and, you know, things like that, what you're saying is, is that all of the deep tissue Uh, after the injury occurred there is no anatomical consequence to those tissue and because there's no anatomical consequence you just have something called low back pain and because you have low back pain i'm just going to get you to squeeze the shit out of your core whatever that means in order to prevent the injury from occurring in the future but but like i said before if you could have prevented the injury that way you just wouldn't have gotten injured to begin with i don't think you would have selected to be injured So the idea that these superficial contractions and movements are somehow going to specifically rehabilitate the spine the way it needs to be rehabilitated is is very far from the truth. And this is another thing when I see someone that has back pain or that has any injury, and I I hear it online a lot, you know, just get strong. It doesn't matter what the problem is, just get strong. The stronger you are, the better. If this was the case, I would have no bodybuilders as clients. I would have no power lifters as clients, but that is not the case. And the fact of the matter is, is this, the word strong is not a generic thing. I can't make your back strong. I can increase the slow twitch capacity of your multifidi, or I can increase the fast twitch responsiveness of your latissimus dorsi, or I can increase the amount of connective tissue resilience Uh, or force absorption capacity in the thoracolumbar fascia all of those when 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 being executed is a demonstration of strong all of those contribute to strength but there is no generic idea of strength whereby three sets of 10 you know do whatever and you're going to get strong that is not going to deal with the specific anatomical consequences of the injury that you sustain and that is where you have specific rehab which is going to far exceed Um, the, the, the results from a generic rehabilitation program, which really doesn't treat Let's take an ankle. An ankle is an even easier one. When you roll over on your ankle and you, you tear that lateral ankle ligaments here, you tear that ligament there just doing, you know, plantar flexion, this and and red TheraBand in whatever direction, three sets of 10, that's not going to specifically send force signals to that tissue. Really, the only way to do that is to progressively train the person into the direction that they got injured in. If they get injured this way, and that tears the tissue here, then in order to rehabilitate that tissue, I have to start the process of very slowly and progressively strengthening tissue into the direction that that injury occurred. If you don't do that, then there's no other way to specifically train the tissue that specifically got injured during the specific mechanism of that specific injury. That's a lot of specifics, but it it proves the point where generic exercise can only lead to generic results. Three sets of 10 has no value to anybody unless you're either failing in that three sets of 10 or it, it might be a very difficult challenge in that three sets of 10, but giving the parameters of 10 is not a good idea. What we should be doing is saying, Go as long as you can and find out how much that is. Let's look at time under tension and then manipulate the, the intensity of the exercises so that I can say, I want more slow twitch here. I want more fast twitch here. Let's take exercises and not just say generic. I want you to do a deadlift. Here's another good example. The deadlift. The deadlift doesn't know that you have chronic low back pain. The deadlift has no idea that your multifidi is lacking specifically in slow twitch fiber capability. When you go to a deadlift and you grab that bar and you breathe in and you go and you lift, all that's happening is that your body is taking all of its capacities and it's harnessing all of the capacities simultaneously into the directed um, function of lifting that bar off the ground. From a dynamic systems theory, which is how your brain works, it it doesn't care how it's done internally. As long as it tells the body to, you know, this contract, then this, then this, then this, that's going to lift up that, 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 um, that, uh, bar in the way you wanted it lifted, because now you've taken the reason for the training and you've taken it away from what happens in the body and you put it into the bar. I need to deadlift this bar. So the body does whatever it can. Tissues that don't work well, it bypasses those tissues, and it goes to other tissues that do work well, because your goal is lift up that bar. Your deadlift's goal is not rehabilitate that multifidi. So the idea that you can have an injury, you do some rehab, and you feel better, and then you're put right back, maybe you injured yourself deadlifting, you get thrown right back into the deadlift. So you're right back into the deadlift. So now you have multifidi that don't have preemptive contraction. They don't have slow twitch capacity. They can't contract in such a way that it's going to monitor. And instead of teaching it to do that, you say, grab that bar, breathe in and pull up as fast as you can. I mean, what, what worse way can you think of to train slow twitch fibers than to do a ballistic fast exercise? And the the thing to bring away from that is that named exercises, the deadlift, the lunge, they don't care about the internal environment. They care about the external production of the exercise. And when you're rehabilitating, that's the exact opposite of what you need. You don't need to rehabilitate the exercise. You need to use the exercise to rehabilitate the person. Okay. So what does that mean in, in a nutshell? I guess the major take home from this, this discussion has been when you suffer lumbar spine or low back pain specifically, um, we know of things that occur. We know the literature, I mean, it's pretty set in stone. We know what occurs. We know the function of that interior tissue. We know how important capsular afference is. We know how important multi, and we didn't even get to the front of the spine. I'm not even going to get this time into the psoas. Uh, and, and the, the rehabilitation of there. We're gonna stay back here, uh, just for example's sake. We know what that multifidus did in the normal setting. We know what it's supposed to do in a normal setting, but the idea that we can just make the person feel better generically uh, and, and provide generic exercises um, with rep ranges that that really don't translate into specific signals um, to the tissue that's been injured in order to get specific capacities uh, out of that tissue. We're just taking a shot in the dark. Um, and, and I often tell people, you know, the literature tells you that when you have a bout of low back pain, if you, you know, give it four to, to six weeks or six to eight weeks, 80% of the people are going to feel better. Uh, that's called natural history. If you're going to a therapist for a low back problem and you go, you know what? After six weeks, I felt better. You're damn right you felt better. You should have felt better if you sat on your ass and did absolutely nothing. Um, So really think about it. When you're getting a rehabilitative program, when you're getting treatments, if the physical treatments don't have follow-up training, training is the only thing that builds new anatomy, that fixes things. I can't build new anatomy with my thumbs by rubbing. I can send signals to the cell influencing how the cell lays down new tissues that it produces along lines of force. But I can't in and of itself by rubbing, tell the system to build more. I I don't go to the gym and say, bicep, get bigger. I have to do work. So when you're going for low back pain therapy, unless that therapy is coupled very closely with very specific exercises to reinforce the information that, that, that was put into the body by treatment, that treatment amounted to very, very little, if anything. And I would challenge anybody to, to counter um, what I'm saying. There might be some changes in architecture with soft tissue over time, but it's really providing uh, an environment or, or preparing an environment for training signal. So further to that, if you're given training signal in your rehab, But the training signal is a signal that is telling you not to move the spine. This is a very, very big problem because as I said before, there is, you can find any person who deals with soft tissue, exercise, physiology, anatomy, find any of these people. And if you were to, um, to ask those people, how do you maintain health of tissue? It's movement. There's nothing else. There's no other information to be given to those cells other than force information, which is provided for by movements. So if you're taking sections of the spine and you're saying, don't move, you're essentially insisting that you break down that area of the spine even further. So if your rehabilitation is chunking information and keeping you in neutral spine and telling you to move in that spine and the exercises you're given, it's just generic strength training exercises. Um, it, it's not enough. We, we have a lot more knowledge uh, by way of literature that allows us to be much more specific. So I really think that if you are suffering from a low back problem and, and to get back to my original question, why do I still have low back pain? Forget about the low back pain. Ask yourself, do I have functionality in my spine? Are the the tissues doing the jobs that they have evolved to do? And if that's not the case, and if the rehab and the treatment is not trying to reestablish those functions and those very specific capacities, uh, then you might wanna consider finding a more specific approach um, to your spinal rehabilitation. Uh, I guess I could go on forever, Uh, And maybe I'll, I'll have a follow-up talking more about how this, this blows out or scales out to the training of the spine in general, because again, just briefly, I can, I can take the same concept and I can blow it out to how people train the spine. And it seems that people train the spine not to move instead of training the spine to move. It seems that when people choose spinal exercises, the vast majority of those exercises look to solidify the spine while moving peripheral joints, uh, like a bird dog, for example. If I took an elbow and I said, don't move your elbow, just move around like this, no one would tell me that's a good elbow exercise. But if I put people on all fours and I say, don't move your spine and lift your arm in your opposite leg, all of a sudden that becomes a very good spinal exercise, but that's not training the spine. If anything, that's training the superficial tissues that are traversing from the the arms or legs and crossing over into the pelvis or shoulder girdle and then functioning in coherence with the spine. But the spine itself, unless you're actually moving, you can't train a muscle that doesn't move. And things that don't move, you can't put information into, into joints that don't move. And if you can't put information into joints that don't move, you can't train the things that move that joint. You can't move where you can't move and you cannot train where you can't move. Um, and, and that's, a, a, I guess, the biggest takeaway point for this particular little discussion with regards to the spine is that it, it is a specific something. The brain registers it. It's supposed to register it as a specific something. And all of those somethings from an evolutionary perspective have very specific um, evolutionary functions. And the idea that we can forget about those functions and, and just keep the spine in, in, you know, in a bubble or in alignment so that it can never happen again, um, it, it's, it's very, very far from the truth. Uh, so I guess I'm going to end my little discussion there, and I will talk to you guys soon.